it was definitely not planned. So I running was my thing. That's what I grew up wanting to do, be a runner. And that's obviously why I went to school, like to continue to stay competitive post high school. And after college, I had been dealing with some injuries. I was trying to stay competitive and keep competing on the track, do started dabbling in some road races, but strained my calf really bad. And I had a bit of a background in cycling and that uh, following college when I graduated, I did a bicycle trip across the country. Did you know that we each lose a different amount of electrolytes in our sweat, largely based on our genetics? That means that there's no one-size-fits-all perfect sports drink for everybody because we each have unique needs. That's why we at Solpre developed the Sync Hydration System, a series of sports drinks to help match you with the personal level of electrolytes that you need. If you'd like us to help you match with your perfect sports drink, go to solpre.com slash hydration dash quiz. That's solpre.com slash hydration dash quiz. Welcome to the Smart Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Funk. My guest today is a former Division I runner, also a former Cat 2 cyclist, two very um, difficult things to do. And the crossover is not always terribly easy for many people. So um, very impressive there. Um, he's a running coach. He has his doctorate in physical therapy. You can find him on Instagram at Redefine Physio. Welcome to the show, Jimmy Picard. Thanks for having me, Jesse. Great being yeah. here. Yeah, absolutely. And so, like I was saying in the intro, like that, I know some people make the crossover from running to cycling. And uh, I'm thinking of a friend of a friend of mine who lives uh, in Cleveland, who I think has somewhat of a similar story to you, kind of has some like, injury issues with running and then took up cycling and then somehow he kind of rose up through the categories relatively quickly um so i guess what can we start there and can you talk to me about how, how you go from like d1 runner which is a, a dream to many people who run competitively to ah uh, let's ditch that and go to cycling like can you tell me about that kind of story or part in your life uh yeah for sure it's so it was definitely not planned. So I running was my thing. That's what I grew up wanting to do, be a runner. And that's obviously why I went to school, like to continue to stay competitive post high school. And after college, I had been dealing with some injuries. I was trying to stay competitive and keep competing on the track, do started dabbling in some road races, but strained my calf really bad. And I had a bit of a background in cycling and that uh, following college when I graduated, I did a bicycle trip across the country uh, leisurely or fairly leisurely. So I had experience on the bike, but was not at all a competitive cyclist. Would just ride around town and then did that trip. Um, but it was about three years after graduating college training for a marathon and just strained my calf really bad and forced me to be sidelined from running for about three months. And during that time, I had a friend that was racing cyclocross and he encouraged me to try it out. 
I was working at a running shoe store that also had a bike component or bike side to it. And so they lent me a cyclocross bike and I hopped in my first cyclocross race. And I'd been training a lot on, uh, in running. And so I was I, coming off of running like 90 mile weeks, I was fit. Um, and during that first cyclocross race, I remember sitting at the starting line and looking over to the guy next to me and just like asking him what exactly we were supposed to do. Cause I had no idea like how this, how the races worked. It was like a lap thing where you not really clear how many laps you're doing until a couple laps into it, then they tell you. And I just didn't know what was going on. So I look over at the guy and try to get him to explain that to me. Um, but I ended up winning that race despite crashing probably three times per lap. Luckily, <laughs> luckily it was grass, so it was soft, but that was my first experience with it. And I fell in love with it. Cyclocross is really fun because the races are under an hour, very intense. I feel like most runners uh, were used to going hard for about an hour. So it fit well with my fitness. Uh, and then from there, I just continued to keep riding. I was in PT school and uh, I had a lot of extra time. And so I was able to just start cycling a lot. So I got to back up a little bit because from your perspective, I think it's like, it's kind of like a, a funny anecdote. Like you're at the starting line going like, what, like, what are we doing? But I feel like from the other guy's perspective, it's gotta be pretty disheartening to be like, this guy who didn't even know what's going on, like ends up winning. Like, was he just, you know, like it, it almost seems like you're just like hustling him. Like, what probably. are we doing here? You know, For, I don't know. Probably, but then you, you also have to keep in mind that cycling races aren't like running races where it's, I was in the cat five race, right? These right. are mostly folks that are newer to cycling. So that's fair. For me to, to win was not really a big deal because like, like, yeah, you're competing against people who are less fit. Right, right. Now, I, I, I always forget that, that we don't, it's not kind of like, whereas running, you don't have the categories. And then like the, the races almost filter themselves out. Like, you know, just as an easy one for everybody, although this is obviously not the be all, but like Boston's going to be more competitive than like your local race. So it, the categories kind of sort themselves out in their own way. Yeah, there's no like official hierarchy. Um, so for the the listener, can you uh, two things? One, describe the format of cyclocross a little bit more, and two, describe the the process of going through the categories because it's not, it, as I recall, you'll correct me, it's not quite as easy as just being like, okay, I'm great at cat five, so I'm just going to go race cat two, right? Yeah. No. So cyclocross is. Uh, really fun it's kind of like you can I, I used to think about it as like cross country is to track cyclocross is to road racing or uh, track racing um, so it's primarily on soft surfaces grass sand mud stuff like that there's just typically a little bit of road in there um, but more technical the course is often have obstacles in them, whether it's sand pits or barriers that you have to jump over, staircases that you have to hop off your bike, carry your bike up the stairs, hop back on the bike. So there's a lot more to it than just riding your bike, hence why I crashed so much during mm -hmm. that first race. Um, but then the process for, yeah, moving up the categories is pretty, it's pretty 
fun and yeah, unique compared to running. And uh, whereas running, you can toe the line and be next to like the fastest guy or the guy that's going to win the race, even if you are very, very slow and it's your first race. In cycling, you have to start at the bottom and kind of prove that you are fit enough to move up to the next level. And you do that by getting points in each race. So uh, each place is given a different point. And if once you get X amount of points, you can apply to move up to the next category. But it's very official. You have to go through application and prove that you have the results uh, that warrant you moving up to the next level. It is funny though, because cat one's the best, cat five is the worst, or I guess pro is the best. Uh, yeah, it's a process. The one thing I, I feel like, to me, it seems like, okay, you just points and you move up, but I think, you know, maybe I had this wrong. I heard sometimes there's like a time component, like you have to wait so much time between categories or is it is it just points related? Um, Back when I raced, it may have changed. I, I do not believe that's true. Okay. Because I think I moved up to cat one or to cat two within like with less than a year mm -hmm. or, or maybe right about a year. Yeah. Okay. I, so I just like, it's not my world. So that yeah. I just don't, you know, it doesn't get ingrained in my head quite as well. For sure. And then, and yes. And then, you know, because... I talk about endurance stuff. Sometimes I get asked these questions and I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. Ask, ask Jimmy. Nice. Jimmy would know. Don't ask me. Um, so then, you know, you're, you're doing this for a while. Is it, is it purely out of a, you just want to compete? Are you trying to get to the cat one pro level? Or is it just like, I'm having a good time. I'm just, just doing it because I like doing it. Yeah, at that time I was, so I was in PT school. I was taking school very seriously back then. Uh, but this is just a way for me to compete and spend my weekends having fun, traveling around. Uh, I was on a few teams. And so most of my friends were on these teams and it's just a way to hang out with people and compete. I think that's like, in many ways, it's almost like the, purest continuation of like i think early days of running for most runners um I, I i could be wrong i think you kind of touched on this on a blog post from your uh website um for you the listener it's redefine-pt.com um things talking about like see if i remember if i can remember this right like just like the simple joys of running with like before technology gets involved and we're so like data focused and uh you know just being obsessed with like all the kind of granular nuggets of training and stuff it, it seems like obviously it's like across not not running but just taking it from like a i'm going out to enjoy it standpoint if you can maintain that like place of zen maybe that's the one i'm looking for um because I, I have like a hyper competitive nature it seems like a good place to live if you can stay there yeah, and honestly, that's that was one of the reasons I started to really like it, right? Because I was coming out of this, run, like, years of being competitive on the running scene and battling injuries, being frustrated with that. And then also being at an age where I was beginning to accept that I was not going to continue to improve. Um, 
And so cycling was an, a chance for me to kind of reset and go back to no expectations, just being out there having fun. However, I will say it quickly is like with success, it quickly became something that I did get competitive with. I never had any aspirations of being pro or anything like that, um, but I did take it seriously and seriously enough where at some point I needed to step away from that because I thought it was uh, not helpful for me anymore. Yeah, I, I wonder, and this is me, this is a projection entirely. You know, I wonder about, I often ask like former pros or former collegiate athletes um, and, and just again, searching for maybe an answer for myself, just like how, how do you walk away from competitiveness? Like, because, you know, we spend so much, you spend so much time and effort and, and, and mental energy and just like, like I know as an example, I've been working, we'll talk more about this in a minute, but I've been working on making my long runs slower because my tendency is if I feel a little discomfort, like lean into that, like just lean a little bit harder, go a little bit faster. And I'm not like out crushing my long runs, but just, again, we'll talk about this in a minute, but just like, that's, that's my inborn tendency to be competitive, to go faster, to want to do that. So like, but I also have say a friend who's in his, uh, I guess he's approaching 70 now. Who's just like, you need to learn about just doing it for health. And, you know, I don't know how to do that, I guess is the short version. So can, can you walk me through it? How, like, lead me, lead me to the promised land, Jimmy, like, help, help me get there. I think this is pretty funny that you're asking me that. Cause I, this is not a joke this week. I Googled that exact question. <laughs> I was like, there's gotta be a book I can read about this. So for me, what it happened. Maybe is, we should write a book. Maybe we should just go around interviewing people and, and write a book about this. No, I often talk about this with uh, colleagues. It's like, how, how do we evolve as competitive athletes as we age, right? Because right. we have to evolve. Right. And we have to change our relationship to the sport. Um, and so for me, what, what has ended up happening was it started with high school, then college, then trying to be competitive after college, then switching to switching sports entirely to um, cycling. Then my path, I transitioned from that to getting into strength training pretty heavily and seeing like just another way I could be competitive and push my body. Then from there, once I moved out here to Salt Lake, um, I took a trail running and it started all over again, where it's like now I'm getting competitive and thinking about wanting to be at that elite level. Um, but it's funny because here I am uh, 37 years old, married with two kids and it's like very unrealistic for me to continue to hold on to those those dreams yeah that doesn't mean I can't go out and push myself and train really hard but I think the evolution has to occur internally with like I said like your relationship to the sport and what success means so for me what I've been trying to work on is just like enjoying being outside running being in the mountains out here, coming home and seeing my kids right when they wake up, right after that run when I'm feeling good. Um, and then also with uh, being a coach, I can kind of take all the things that I've learned, all my experience, 
and help athletes uh, from the beginning have this relationship, a better relationship to the sport so that their identity isn't wrapped up in the sport like mine was. Um, and that's been really helpful. It's, I don't wanna say living vicariously through my athletes at all, but helping them learn from the mistakes that I made. I think you kind of touched on what I think is a, a crux of the transformation that has to take place. And, and I, admittedly, given what I've already said, it's not that I have come to the mountaintop and I'm here to tell you the good news, um, and, and show you how enlightened I am, but just these are my thoughts on where I think maybe the road leads. And that's like starting with redefining success, right? Whereas like maybe previously, you know, for me, that that shining glory thing was like trying to get that pro card in triathlon or in college trying to, uh, for me, it was breaking 16 and then in the 5k which i did and then trying to get you know then the next artificial barrier okay let's go 1545 let's go 15th on and on so there's always that thing but then getting older and it was like what is success look like um for me at the moment would be just getting back to normal running i've been dealing with uh, achilles tendinopathy this year so i'm getting close in the next i think in the next two months i'll be um fully pain-free but I think that's the crux of like changing the relationship, right? Is allowing the success to be not so centered on did I run a new lifetime fastest time? Because event, I mean, no matter who you are, eventually you just can't anymore. Like we all yeah. deal with that. And it's a hard, hard thing for a hard pill for most people to swallow. If you've had success, if you, yeah. uh, again, if that's, be, if the sport becomes your identity, who you are, and that is it, then it can be very hard to do that. Um, and like you said, we, it sounds like we've both been there and it's, it's hard because we love running and it's, it is a healthy thing for us to do. It's good, great for the body. It's great for our mind. Um, but yeah, like you said, just redefining what success is. I think what I struggle with, and, and I don't know whether this will resonate with you, is it like I, so I changed focus, you know, so I, we, you know, we were talking about company, we're here mostly talking about you. So like I have my company or companies now, and I, I kind of shifted away from like, okay, let's spend more time on this because this is a more long-term trajectory. And I, I you know, I began to spend more time on music stuff. I play an instrument and write music and that kind of thing. And those are things that I can take with me much longer into life than like high-end athletic performance, which has a very short shelf life as far as lifespans go. I think the thing I struggle with is like when I have like maybe sparks of a good day and I go, I, you know, you remember, you go, ah, like, I remember what I could do such and such. Uh, maybe I could do it again. Like, let's, could, could we put together a schedule? Like, can we, can we start thinking about like, it, it, it's like just the wheels start turning from just the smallest thing. Yeah. That's a, the thing that I struggle with. Yeah. It's a slippery slope for sure. It's like, so <laughs> I, I was doing a track. I did a track workout two days ago. It was mile repeats with very short rests, like yeah. cruise intervals. And 
uh, because of having two kids, I was out at the track before 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I finished the workout. I felt great. Got home, looked at my splits, and I was like, well, well so the wheel, like you said, the wheels start turning. You're like, oh, maybe I can get back in shape. I can start getting good. But then I look at my paces. I'm like, this was would have been an easy run back when I was in college. Mm-hmm. And so that was just a big slap on the face. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, at some point you just, yeah, it just becomes, you're not going to be what you were back in college. You know? Right. And it's right. accepting that. And that's, comp- that's totally fine. Cause like you said, we evolve, we change, we get other priorities, the music thing, the businesses, those kids, kids. Yes. All that stuff takes over and that's all great. And it's just the new chapter. So that's where that evolution comes in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You have to, you have to accept it and go with it. And the problem is like, we all start fighting it. Like you said, you, you get that little uh, feeling of like the fitness coming back and you push it, you push in, into it. Right. And I think it also, and I've touched about, you know, touch on this, I don't know how many number of times, um, cause it seems like a, a bottomless well of a topic, but you're talking about, uh, figuring out how to not to define yourself entirely by the sport, you know? And I think, I think it's difficult to do when you are, when you are so successful and or competitive because by its nature, like the amount of training is consuming. So like, it's, you wake up thinking about like, ah, did I get enough rest? What do I need to eat? Got to eat by such and such time to get ready to run. Then I got to run. Then I got to recover from it. And just like, it consumes your entire clock. I mean, I've talked about this before. I don't know how many, how many Christmases of my life, like people had to wait on opening gifts because I was out for a long run. And uh, that's but that's the thing that like you when you look back on those things you can kind of realize how selfish it makes you and right if you want to be successful and you want to be at the top of your game and in a way you do have to be very selfish and I think for me having children now what I've learned is that having kids just like sh- shines a spotlight on all your selfish tendencies right mm-hmm. it really highlights them and it can be a rude awakening when you see them yeah but at the same time, it's like, I want to show my kids that you can have a healthy relationship with these. Things. That's exactly what I was going to ask about. Cause it's, you know, cause you don't want to, okay. So here's my theory as a dad of six weeks now, um, let me dispense my eternal wisdom. Nice. <laughs> um, my, I mean, my, I, your, your kids don't need to follow in your footsteps. You don't need to project and push them and make them many versions of you i don't think that is what i'm after but how i mean how many times do you have people that are like oh what are your parents like what are they you know what are their interests and it's just like i don't know anything about my parents they don't do anything and i i understand that parents by their nature are going to end up time-wise energy-wise resources-wise devoting a lot of that to their kids. That's just how the relationship goes. But I contend, I think, this is my, this is my, I guess, um, theory. You should be able to 
I guess, help children grow up to be more adjusted adults when you still maintain something, some kind of interest of your own where you're maintaining your own sense of, I guess, identity outside of just being a dad or just being a mom. It's the same in a different light. It almost seems like the same problem as being consumed by the identity of I'm just a runner. This is all that I do. And then just transferring that over to like, I'm just a dad. That's all that I do. Well, then not that it stops, but kids leave home eventually. Well, now what? Are are you an empty shell? Like, and then do is that what you're modeling for your kids? Like if they want to have kids, that's all they can do. It's a balance, obviously. Like there are some people in, um, he's retired now, but uh, former pro uh, long course athlete, Jesse Thomas, uh, founder of, co-founder of Picky Bars. Um, So shout out to them. He was racing and they had kids. And I was just like, I have no idea how that man's racing professionally at that level and having kids, it just, but I, I think it was probably great for his kids as young as they were to be able to see him still doing his thing. So I, yeah, I don't know. I, I love your, I love your thoughts on that. Yeah. So a couple of things. So one on the flip side, like I don't want my, my kids to, when somebody asks them, what's your dad? Like, I don't want them thinking like, Oh, my, I have to wait to open my Christmas presents on Christmas right. morning. Cause my dad's out running. Right. right. Uh, but at the same time, I want him, well, I want them, my two boys, to, to see that I can have a healthier relationship with athletics um, and that it is a part of my life and it's a big part of my life, but that they come first, family comes first, business, like work, running um, are there, but they don't take priority. The kids like the family takes priority but I have my own life and I do these things because I love there's nothing better than finishing a race crossing the finish line and seeing your kid right there right so it's amazing and showing them that what people what we can do that we can push ourselves really hard and complete for, for me right now like it's doing very like ultra marathons and stuff like that but being an example to show them that like these things are doable um, but then it's also the little, it's other things like I play the guitar too. And it's like, I'll sit there and play the guitar with him, my son with him sitting in my lap and he loves that. And it's like, I'm not going to force any of this stuff on him, but I'm going to show him that we can have a healthy relationship with all of these things. So I wanna, I'm going to jump ship a little bit here and make a hard transition. Um, so I want to ask a little bit about uh, how you get into physical therapy. Is it is the genesis the history of injuries or in particular anything in particular or is it just like you wanting to continue a kind of parallel track of being in the sport world yet not being you know like a, a pro in anything yeah so i think so it's a great question I wish I had a good answer. I'd say like, <laughs> I graduated from college. I had a one track mind. It was running. That's yeah. all I cared about. So I graduated and I started working at a running shoe store and continued to try to compete. Uh, very quickly, I realized that you do not make a lot of money doing that. No, you don't. And, and very quickly, I also realized that I was not going to become a professional runner. So then I started looking at what options did I have? I had a degree in kinesiology and 
for me, I was looking at various career paths in the medical field uh, and physical therapy just seemed kind of like what you were saying, it seemed like the right fit where I could stay involved with running and sports and athletes uh, and also make a career out of that. And so applied for school and then, yeah, just the rest is history. Do you, so, I mean, you're, you're coaching and doing the, the physical therapy stuff. So it, this is the, I feel like the million dollar question. And, and I ask anytime I'm talking to anybody like physio related, whether it's directly physical therapy or it's like, I've talked to podiatrists, I've talked to, you know, just the whole realm. I always like to ask about like preventive maintenance and how do you get people to do it? Because <laughs> one of the things I hear consistently is somebody gets injured, they go through the process, they get healthy, and then maintenance drops off because they feel good, they're good to go. I am guilty as charged in this scenario as well. How do you get it to stick? Do can you get it to stick? So you're talking from the coaching side, right? Yeah, well, coaching so, physical therapy. However, you, however you approach it. Yeah. So if uh, working with a runner in a coach athlete relationship, I always kind of stress up front, and it's all of my athletes. Like you're going to have a strength routine that that I issue you based on deficits and strength and such that I see on our evaluation. Um, so all of my runners, like we do some sort of evaluation up front, uh, physical assessment. Based on that, we create a strength program. So I just start it from day one and say like, this is part of the plan, right? This is just as important as the runs that you do. This is going to be on your schedule two days a week. And you do that. If you have an injury, if you come in with an injury, then you'll probably have a list of PT style exercises that again, gets put into the mix. And so when I'm programming weeks, I just put that on their schedule. So it's there. And yeah, some people slack off and they'll admit it later. And often that's when the injury comes back or something is bothering them. And they're like, yes, I should have been doing that. I stopped doing it. Uh, it's hard, but I think the, the easiest way to do it is to try to make it fun, get a partner. So I do a lot of like group strength training here. Um, so I'll have athletes that come in, they bring a friend and it just becomes a part of their routine. It's always better when you have somebody to do it with. And then when you have, when you can come someplace and somebody's working with you, um, but yeah, it's, it's, I'd say that's really hard, even for me personally, like when training goes up or life gets busy, it's often the first thing that goes. Well, I just, I think part of it is just like pain's a big motivator right so it's like like in my case it's obviously been getting much better but you get up and like it just hurts to walk because your achilles is messed up well that's obviously a motivator like i hate this let's do something about it and then you get back to the healthy place where like oh, i'm pain free there's no like reminder of it going hey that hurts because it doesn't hurt so then yeah. you don't do the like so it seems like pain's a motivator, but then you have to, have to like figure out how to make it into the habit if you don't have a, a coach. Yeah. So you're right. Like definitely like when I see people, patients, like they're often very motivated and they're going to stick with the routine initially. Right. It's, 
And as soon as that pain goes away, most people are ditching the plan. Yep. But that's where I think you have to have some sort of, uh, the plan has to evolve. You can't just be doing PT exercises a year down the road. That needs to evolve into some sort of strength program. Mm -hmm. So I'm a huge fan of lifting weights and uh, all of my runners are doing squats and deadlifts with heavy weights. They're doing single leg work with heavy weight. Uh, and I think most people, they, they learn to like that just as much as they do run. And I think it's just, it's a little bit intimidating for a lot of runners, especially to, to be asked to do a deadlift or a squat with a barbell. Mm -hmm. And I think initially, like if you have some coaching and you can learn how to do these movements and you can start doing them, almost everyone like appreciates how they feel. Your body just feels way better. And if you like you're right now, you're probably doing like calf raises and things like that. Yeah. Eccentric cat drops with weight. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And so it's like, you're, that's the perfect introduction to starting a, a strength routine. Right? right. So from, we take what you're doing right now, and then we just like slowly build on it. Cause you're in a routine now. And then we, you're probably doing that almost daily, I would guess. Yeah. The, the, the PTs twice a day, uh, it takes all five minutes or whatever. Uh, and I have, I, we have strength regularly twice a week already. So it's just, perfect. Yeah. It, yeah. So it'd be like, yeah, but with a patient, it'd be like trying to transition, like, hey, you've already made this habit of doing these exercises. Let's decrease how often you do them, make it a, the routine a little bit bigger, but you just kind of transition the routine in that way. And like I said, almost everyone starts to love the way that they feel when you're just running, like it doesn't take long for your body just to not feel great if you're running a lot. And so a little bit of strength, I think people just respond well and they feel good with it. I kind of wonder, um, and this is just me being devil's advocate because obviously I agree with the, the strength program, but do you get, do you ever get any pushback from people with the weights, especially as you mentioned, like lifting heavy weights to go, oh, I'm going to like gain weight or like, and it's going to get, I'm going to get slow, like any of that. Do you, do you get that pushback or am I just like making that up? No, that, I feel like that's a big thing with a lot of runners, it's funny um, because most of the people that say that are the ones that are on the higher level, like elite level. And they're the last ones that are gonna get big because they're running so much. Yeah. Right. And so it's like, it's easy to, so I work with a couple or yeah, work with a couple of professional women runners here in town. And these are some of the smallest people I know but they lift way more weight and they're like they're squatting and deadlifting heavier than most anyone else and they are not putting on any weight not gaining muscle uh, so it's easy for me to just point to them and say hey like this person is lifting two times the amount of weight as you consistently two times a week and not getting bigger but yeah that's that's kind of like old school and then you see people doing really silly things or like the runners who do end up doing some strength often they're doing something like, I don't know, three sets of 20 of something with a very lightweight that's really not, that's not strength training. So right. I was trying to educate them on that too. Yeah, I definitely feel like my coach and I do stuff, not that he's evolved or, I mean, I'm sure he has, but just like the, the stuff that we work on nowadays, it's definitely different than like stuff we did in college. Um, I definitely felt like that, especially even high school, the little strength training we did in high school was 
kind of that vein, like lightweight, high reps, thinking, you know, like, oh, well, you're an endurance athlete, so you don't want to get big, so you just do light. It's like, well, you know, as we know, there are other physiological adaptations that can take place that are useful when you increase the load. Um, gosh, I, this is the second second episode I'm recording, and I cannot remember this man's name. It's going to take me a minute. Um, but speaking to um, the showman, gosh, this is back in like episode 30-ish of the podcast, so um, I'll get his name as I talk here, but um, he does research on like uh, tendon adaptation and, and loading and how to like optimize um, loading on tendons so that you get maximum power while reducing injuries and that kind of stuff. Where is it? Uh, maybe I'm not going to find it in any case. Um, and, you know, the, the way he approaches that, I'm sure I'll misquote him. So uh, sorry, sorry to him. You have to go back and look at that episode. I think it's like off the top of my head, maybe episode 36. Um, but anyway, talking about like very low rep, like three, maybe five, and then just high weight to get that tendon adaptation. Um, so that you don't have tendon problems as your muscles get stronger, you don't have them like peel away from each other, which is obviously problematic if you're trying to do anything. Um, and, and just that approach, I think would be difficult for like most kind of like low weight, high rep classic approach to training. It's funny because if you look up in the literature, like what do bodybuilders do? What do you, like, how do we actually stimulate muscle growth and hypertrophy? It's with moderate loads for eight to 12 reps, which is what most runners like gravitate towards. Whereas if we're trying to, improve performance in running or reduce injury risk by strengthening tendons and such, then you want to lift heavy and low reps. So most of, most of the runners I'm working with, we're doing some sort of scheme that finishes with two sets of six heavy and that's it. So we're not, we're going to build strength. We're going to get those tendons loaded and get those adaptations without any sort of hypertrophy. Yeah. I did finally find it. Dr. Keith Barr, episode 30. Um, I knew it was 30 something. It's, it's, <laughs> that's been several years ago since I talked to Dr. Barr. So um, just, just took me a minute. As I, was, as I was telling Jimmy before we got recording, my brain just can't quite keep track of all 160 episodes anymore. They kind of get lost inside my brain, but there are tidbits rattling around. Um, I, I do want to talk to you, as I <clears throat> kind of mentioned earlier, a little bit about um, easy pace, which I feel like is a struggle for many, many people, myself included. Um, recently, I, I have gone to uh, just using a heart rate monitor basically to say, like, this is my top line, like, don't go above it, and then figuring out where that groove is, because I'm a big fan of rate of perceived exertion. Um, but as I mentioned, that tendency to try to like feel it and like push forward a little bit gets me into trouble sometimes. Um, so I, I guess I want to ask you about finding what is actually easy pace and the uh, importance or positive effects of doing so. Yeah, so the, uh, there's a bunch of different ways to 
find some sort of metric that will establish your easy pace. I'm like you though, where I prefer RPE and it just takes being honest with yourself. Right. Right. And that can be hard for some folks. And that's where I do think something more black and white, like a heart rate monitor, giving you a number to stay under can be helpful. But I always think like the goal is to get away from any of that stuff as quickly as possible to use it, to learn where that limit is, to learn what that feels like, and then to stay below that. But I think like intuitively, like if if you're honest with yourself, you know, what's easy and you know, what's in that like gray zone. Like you said, you know, when it's happening, you're pushing it, you're just having a good day. And that's okay to do that from time to time. The problem is when every day becomes that, right? right? That's, there's no, like, there's nothing wrong with going out and pushing it into that moderate zone. But if that's every day, which for a lot of people, we gravitate towards that effort because it feels good. It feels like you're getting a good workout mm-hmm. in, but really you're just, you're going fast enough where you're not going to recover well, but slow enough that you're not getting the benefits of fast running. Right. And then that, that gray zone kind of just messes up. If you did your easy day in that kind of moderate zone and you have a workout the next day, now you're not going to be able to perform as well as you would had you taken that easy day easy. Um, so I think like one good way is to have a coach because they can hold you accountable. That's my athletes often like joke or get mad at me because I'm always saying, Hey, I think this run was a little fast today. Like what's, what happened here? Right. Um, so if you can have a coach who's looking and seeing what you're doing and can hold you accountable to keeping easy days easy, that's one way. Um, the other way would be I like that the talk test, which is, can you just have a conversation, right? Can you hold a conversation uh, comfortably? Um, Cause there's a fine line. I think like there's, I feel like every podcast I listen to now is like, or at least in the running world, people are saying we need to take our slow, easy days, easier, easy days, easier, easy well, I mean, days, easier. You can find articles and stuff about it for years now, yeah. you know? And it's like, and I talk about it often too. Like I said, my athletes all know that. Um, but it's just like, it's like the prevent preventive maintenance thing. Like, you know, you need to do it. Yeah. But like, so like one what's thing, that switch? One thing I've been trying to, that I've, I was just talking to one of my runners about was, I think I'm going to start implementing one day a week where you run your easy day, you run with no data, no GPS, no nothing. And you just go run and have fun. Right. It goes back to like helping them transition to when they do have to evolve out of the sport or out of being competitive in the sport. It's like we all got into running because we like the way it makes us feel. We like being outside. We like the wind in our face. Right. Um, So maybe that's a way to do it is to like strip down that instead of trying to add more and like look at more data to help you take your easy day easy. It's just get rid of the watch so that you're not being competitive with the number. Right. Right. Um, and yeah, just that maybe you have that specific days where you say, I'm not going to bring the watch. I'm just going to go run by feel. I'm going to have fun. That's it. In some ways, I kind of think it's almost, if if I want to make, um, like a general prescription or a a panacea, so to speak, I almost feel like it's like, are you having a problem with going too easy? If yes do the opposite of what you're doing because like so i i've basically not run with a watch for the last decade nice. and just relied on 
like I don't race with a watch. I just, I'm very RPE focused. But I also know like over the years, when I'm just running, I've been more injury prone. When I was doing triathlon, I think because of the mix, I didn't have nearly as many injury issues. But now that I've transitioned back to running, it's just been like a build mileage up and then something will break. So I'm trying to break that cycle. And that's why I've you know, picked up the heart rate monitor and go like, you know, I know I can run easier, but I think I just, you know, get in my own head. And it's not even like zone three, it's just like high zone two. But again, it's still too hard. Like, yeah, and the, I think again, the key is like to be to have a balanced approach to it, right? To like, is it is high zone two? It's totally fine, right? That's, there's nothing wrong with running there, but it's right. But that's it's where, all the time. Yeah. So then it's you just got to be. I guess it's easier said than done, but it's right. strict. Like Monday's my day where I just go slow as I possibly can. I, I so I have a coach, and I love this when I see my coach on some of the recovery days. He will be like run as slow as you possibly can. No pace is too slow. And for me, that's, um, I, I get happy when I see that, right? Yeah. It's, it's fun. It's like, I've learned to appreciate those days so that my hard days can be a little bit harder. Mm -hmm. I think the, the only tr trouble I have with those, and I think why, that's why I like talking about accountability, why the heart rate monitor keeps me accountable. It's my particular solution, at least for now is that I think because I do so much stuff, and I feel like this is maybe a, a general problem uh, here in the US at least, because I do so much stuff, I feel rushed sometimes where I'm like, I gotta get to the next thing. But then, and I've talked about this before, but like, you just think about it and you go, well, if I ran a minute slower per mile, even if I'm going up for a 10 mile run, I, I need to leave 10 minutes earlier. Like it's not, you know, in a minute, a minute slower is pretty significant. Like you're going much easier. Yep. So it, it's, it's just weird psychological game. I think that we play sometimes um, that kind of leads us to this bad place of uh, working too hard to not yeah. hard enough to get the positive effect of hard work, but too hard to, to get the effect of recovery. Yeah, and I think things like Strava and sharing workouts on social media can make it a lot more challenging. At least yeah. for me, it can, because I, I've been there for sure on runs where I'm trying to, it's supposed to be my easy day. Mm -hmm. Maybe I felt good. I start going, I look at the pace and I see, oh, maybe this run will be a little bit faster than I think, or opposite, it's really slow. Then I start all those negative thoughts. About yeah. It so-and-so is going to see this run and start making fun of me because I'm running so slow. Yeah. Right. And then that will often make me run a little bit faster than I should. So that's where I think like, that's why I, I think it's good to have some no data days or no GPS yeah. days. Yeah. I think that's fair. And I think another strategy I use, uh, and I, not that he's perfect because nobody's perfect, but I, uh, my friend who's been on the podcast a, a couple times, uh, Todd Buckingham, episode three and 20 something on early on season one, season two. Um, he just won his, I don't know, 16th, 17th national title in triathlon, amateur, amateur triathlon. And, uh, you know, he's a like sub 32, 10 K guy. And he's like, yeah, I run my long runs at like seven to eight minute pace, which 
is much slower than he's capable of doing comfortably, mm-hmm. but he that's where he is and that's what works for him. And he still produces the results. So sometimes I think about, you know, like a, a moment of like, what would Todd do? Um, just to kind of keep myself in check. Cause I have like voices of coaches and um, you know, podcast guests and, you know, friends and things inside my head that um, try to remind me of like those positive traits that I'm after, like slow down or speed up or, you know, moving away from negative thoughts, everything like that. So yeah, I, I, think, I think having that example is helpful for me. Yeah. And that for me recently, I started coaching a, an older gentleman, he's 60 and running, his goal is to break 250 in the marathon. And he just ran just under three hours for a marathon recently. And his easy days are 10 minute pace. Mm-hmm. And it's like crazy. Cause like, when you look at some of these people who are running much slower than a three hour marathon then their easy days are significantly faster than that. Yeah. Forcing it. So for me, it's been cool to see that too, from, because I'm working with athletes, I can see like the different attitudes and approaches and this guy's just confident running that much I, I also think confidence plays a big role there it's like often folks are just not confident enough to run slow they don't trust themselves they, they don't they don't have the self-esteem or whatever it is to just take it easy they have yeah. to force it they're trying to like milk everything out of their training and you see it a lot when people taper too for a race mm-hmm. some people have to like they can't taper they I call it self-sabotaging like two weeks before the race they're like oh, I just got to do this last long run and they do that and then they just empty the tank in that workout because they're trying to like get more confidence but really they should have just trusted in their fitness and wrote it like let the taper happen yeah that's we always say haze in the barn yes don't 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 try it anymore um Jimmy as we're winding in on time um each season, I ask every guest the same question. Each season has a different question, but within a season, it's the same. Uh, so I'll ask you the question for this year. And, and that question is, how do you celebrate your wins? Oh, that's a good question. So, for, so I think a good thing for me, like recently is, as I've, evolving as a runner kind of changing gears a little bit and putting myself my family first in front of a lot of things I think for me it's celebrating with them and having them become a part of it and whatever that looks like maybe it's grabbing dinner with my wife or just hanging out with the family solid answer um Jimmy, if people want to get in touch, see what you're up to, uh, get coaching advice, any of that kind of stuff, where can they find you? So best place is Instagram, which is Redefine Physio, or just emailing me, which is jimmy at redefine-pt.com. Those are the two best spots. And then uh, my website has all my information on it too. Awesome. Jimmy, thanks for hanging out with me today. Awesome. Appreciate it, Jesse.